Hi, everyone. Welcome to Inside the Product Marketing Mind, where we dive into the world of product marketing in fast-growth SaaS startups, brought to you by EarlyNode. I'm Christina, and today I'm joined by Anthony Pieri, a product marketing expert who helps early-stage founders position their products, write compelling messaging, and build go-to-market strategies. Anthony was most recently a director of product marketing at Headway and has since co-founded Fletch PMM, packaged product marketing services for B2B SaaS founders looking to solve foundational positioning and messaging challenges. In today's episode, Anthony will help us cover product marketing principles for early stage founders, the essentials of the product marketing messaging framework, and the most common PMM mistakes for startups and how to fix them. So welcome, Anthony, and thanks so much for being here today. Thanks, Christina. Glad to be on. Awesome. So just to start, Anthony, I'd love to hear a bit more about your personal PMM background and your career trajectory. Yeah, would be happy to share. So I had a pretty long, varied career before stumbling into product marketing, as a lot of people in product marketing do. Uh, Most people don't grow up wanting to be a product marketer. And so, you know, for the longest time, I didn't even know what that was. But I had always had a pretty deep uh, content background. So in all the different jobs that I had, there was always an element of content creation. And so eventually I found my way into the tech industry. I started in a, in a low-level sales role, um, did like basically cold calling, cold emailing, things like that. It didn't really work out, uh, was not the best fit for me and, you know, my personality types. So I did that for a little while and then migrated over to product and was working as a uh, product owner for a while at an agency, which is actually my parent agency that we launched Fletch PMM out of. And so... For a long period of time, when we would work with clients, we'd be helping them with development, design, product management for, you know, larger companies, some startups. Uh, But we really did like to work with high growth startups, right? The people, the audience that you're kind of speaking to in this podcast. But what we realized is that what we were doing, we were trying to sell product strategy. And most founders, when they think about what they're going to purchase from an external agency, product strategy is usually not on the list. Most founders are like, that's what I do. I'm the product strategist. I'm not going to outsource that. So we kept thinking about different ways that we could position ourselves. And what we realized is that most of the stuff that we would do on these early stage launch projects, we would do positioning, we would do messaging, we would do go-to-market strategy, all these different pieces that fall under the product marketing umbrella. And so once we kind of repositioned ourselves, we said, what if we don't call it product strategy? What if we call it product marketing? All of a sudden, all these founders were like, oh, yeah, I absolutely need help with positioning, messaging and go to market strategy. And the funny thing is my partner and I, we we like to joke that product strategy and go to market strategy are the same thing. They're just two sides of the same coin. If like, for example, if you choose to make a product a certain way at a certain price point, it's going to determine how you're going to sell it and vice versa. If you've chosen a certain segment, consumers versus, you know, enterprise companies, it's going to determine what type of product you make. So. We sort of, in a backwards way, opened all these doors by just repositioning ourselves. So we were doing that for a while. And again, the content piece became a really big part of our own go-to-market strategy. My partner and I, we both were like, okay, we're going to try LinkedIn as a channel to get clients, get more connections into the startup community, uh, VCs, you know, the whole nine yards. And I just happened, for whatever reason, this is total fluke, nothing I can, you know, claim to myself. The first post that I did on LinkedIn went viral, like mini viral, not like, but like viral for, it was like something like six or 700 likes. And 
you know, hundreds of thousands of impressions. And so had that not have happened, we might have said, well, I don't know if it's worth trying this LinkedIn thing. But because it did, then I had, you know, hundreds of connect requests. And so we were like, okay, let's lean into this. So then over the next, like, you know, nine months or so, my partner and I basically were building this product marketing framework in public. Every post would be a different part of the framework and we would sit on calls with each other. Uh, He's in Texas. I'm up in Chicago. And so we'd sit on calls for, you know, a couple hours. We'd go back and forth about different concepts because as, as we kept going deeper into product marketing, we realized that a lot of the frameworks out there, they aren't really very exact with their language, which is kind of ironic considering that product marketers are supposed to be the best at clarifying, you know, what they're talking about. But you could pull probably five to 10 product marketers and say, what's a value prop? What's a benefit? What's a feature? And you would get 10 different answers from everybody. So we would wrestle through these things and we were trying to get to a place where we had a framework where all these different words that people throw around were actually mutually exclusive. And so one thing could not be the other thing by definition, because once you have that bedrock level of understanding, then you can actually start to build on it and you can look at other people's messaging and say, what's good, what's bad, how are they constructing this at like a fundamental level? Um, Because a lot of times when people will put templates out there, here's a template for how to make your website way clearer, here's a sales deck, and it says something like, start with the problem that you solve. Even something as simple as a problem has, you know, 10 different levels of what you can talk about. There's the problem for the end user. There's the problem for the buyer, the champion. But then there's also team-level problems, company-level problems, industry-level problems, and then problems even like cascade one into the other. One problem causes another. And then ultimately, is this a revenue issue? So even something as simple as, well, what problem are you solving is incredibly complex, um, which is why product marketing is such a, a difficult thing for founders. So we spent all this time. We were posting on LinkedIn uh, pretty regularly started to gain some traction, got a lot of interest from, uh, you know, different founders wanting us to help them. And we kept trying to follow where the market was taking us. And then eventually we realized we could probably spin this off and become its own sub brand, its own uh, sub agency. So we're still connected to the parent agency Headway, which is, uh, you know, what brought us in from the beginning. But we spun off as Fletch PMM and the, the clever name Fletch, my friend came up with, It's basically when you put the feathers on an arrow, like with a bow and arrow, to make it fly straight and hit the target. You fletch the arrow. So we're like, it's kind of like messaging, hitting the target, you know. It's, I don't know, kind of cheesy. But uh, yeah, I I think that takes us basically to today. Yeah, I love that. So would you be able to show us the frameworks that you're referring to? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So most of the time when we spend with clients, we're really looking at these eight different messaging elements. So if you break down product marketing, and I'll share my screen, It really is these eight different elements. So you have a persona, and we use this kind of broadly. People have a lot of definitions of what it means to like actually have a persona. We don't really get as far deep in of, you know, it's a 30-year-old soccer mom. She lives in this part of the country. That's not really what we use this as. It's more talking about, okay, is this a, because we, we, we mainly work with B2B companies. And so in B2B, this could be like a sales director, or it could be as wide as a team, a sales team. So you have a persona who's in a specific type of company, and this is where your vertical aspects come in, right? Are you talking about a specific industry? Are you talking about a size range? You know, is this a certain headcount number, annual recurring revenue, um, any, any number of things. So if you get a persona in a company type who's in some type of context, and a lot of people are familiar with the jobs to be done framework, this is sort of a simplified version of that. We, my partner and I, we have a, a lot of different uh, thoughts on jobs to be done. I think it's 
it's sometimes less helpful than it is uh, helpful for people. But really in this place is like, what are they trying to do, right? What are they doing in their day-to-day uh, and more like the tasks? What are they trying to accomplish from a task perspective? And usually when your product is not in the picture, the thing that you're trying to explain, it leads to problems. And like I said, multiple levels of problems, but problems nonetheless. And so on this top half, you basically have the market segment. Each of these segments, then you can speak to them in very specific ways on the bottom with the product. And so the product is really four different aspects. You have the product category. We like to think about that like the shelf at the grocery store that you live on. Uh, Are you a new, a new shelf, like trying to get the grocery store to make a new category just for you. That's like the whole category creation, folks. They, that's kind of the route they would take. Or are you a subcategory of something that already exists? Are you on the shelf with the mustard, but you're spicy mustard, so you stand out from everybody else? And then really, you have these capabilities, features, and benefits. Most of the time when people have product marketing frameworks, they just talk about features and benefits. But you'll hear people say things like, well, this feature, it really is a benefit. And then it's like, well, if they can be interchangeable, this isn't very helpful. So what we realized is that there needed to be a third category. And so capabilities are like the zero to one new abilities that are unlocked by using a product. The features are the actual technical aspects of the product that power those capabilities, that make them possible. And features, some examples are, there's like behind the scenes things that only your company sees or like really technical buyers are interested in. These are like different types of, you know, machine learning models or AI models, but the average person doesn't necessarily care about them. Features that the customer cares about usually are more like product features. Like when you think of Slack, for instance, having the uh, channel section on the side, the main text uh, box that you interact with, those are like product features. But then there's even higher level meta features like really strong user experience overall. That's like a feature of certain products. Like people love Calendly. It's got a great user experience. That's a feature of the product. And then even higher level things like credibility, like, oh, this is a really trusted company. They've worked with all these big companies. That's a feature of them. Um, And so any of those number of things make up the feature box. And then benefits, this is more like the outcome of using these capabilities. So the features power the capabilities that lead to these outcomes. So these are things like increasing good metrics in your life. And that could be, you know, we've grown our ARR by X amount by using this product. Or it could be like emotional things. I've reduced the frustration of having to do X, Y, and Z. So those are really kind of the benefits. Uh, And yeah, really across these eight, you can pretty much explain any product on the market, especially in a B2B sense. So I'll I'll pause there. That's obviously a lot to to cover. No, I I love this. I love this example. I'm already thinking of a hundred different ways that I could already leverage this in my day-to-day work. I do feel like sometimes marketing, especially product marketing frameworks, tend to be a little bit less useful and a little bit more just adding friction on top of, you know, the hundred things that you already have to do as a PMM. So having something that's really actionable, I I already see a lot of value in this specific framework. Yep. Yep. Absolutely. So usually when we work with founders, what we're trying to do to help them most of the time, our, our main final deliverable is we'll help them actually redo messaging across multiple pages on their website. So when you're early stage, we mostly work with seed funded through maybe series A, series B. A lot of times what will happen is that the founder in these early days is really driving the sales of the company. So the founder's going out there, pounding the pavement. And even if it's a product led company, it's usually the founder is, is driving things, you know, trying to figure out ways to get people in the product. And what will happen is that in the early days, the founder on a 30 minute demo can pretty much sell it to any one of their target. 
right? They can get on the call, they can explain it, they can connect the dots. But a lot of times when you abstract out of the demo and you start putting your language about what the product does on a website, on an ad, in content, it becomes harder and harder for people to just get it intuitively. So usually what we try to do with the founders and the startups that we work with is we try to help them get to this. This is like our uh, product marketing canvas. It's rebuilt from those same elements. But in this way, it's saying, let's take all these different floating ideas and try to get them all at the right level of specificity. So this is my friend's um, company. It's not even a, a tech startup. It's a, uh, a co-working space that's run out of an office. But it's, it's like an easy thing for us to all. Yeah. Uh, it's a good example just because it's so easy to understand. So if you think about this, and this is just sort of the ones on the left uh, re-articulated on the right, this target customer is kind of both the combination of the persona and the company type in one. So you have a target customer and a product category, and you read it from left to right. The main problem for this tar target customer is finding the right workspace uh, can be difficult and expensive. And then the main capability on the right side is like the alternate mirror image of this main problem. And so you have uh, over here, be able to get the office of your dreams without breaking the bank. Um, and I should say also, I think um, for all the audio listeners, we, you'll have all these frameworks, I think, in the show notes and stuff for people to check out. Yep. We'll provide all the links later. For sure. For sure. So then each of these next three rows are kind of like mini value propositions. So pulling in that context, when you're working from home, your only real connections are on Zoom calls. What's the problem of that? You miss the energy and conversations of an actual office. So then we bring the product in, into play, which counteracts that. So with them, they're able to build more connections within the startup community. And the feature that powers that is that the memberships that they sell at this co-working space are only for startups and there's a wide open floor plan. So you're going to be interacting with people on a day-to-day -day basis. So each of these three value props then gets you to the piece of these are the benefits of working here. And these are like the outcome statements that I was mentioning. Be excited about going into the office again, right? It's a little more emotional, but it is a very powerful benefit. And then these sub-benefits kind of describe it just at a deeper level of detail, make work more fun, get more inspired, get more stuff done. So uh, yeah, I'll, I'll, I'll pause there again. That's, yeah. that's kind of like the canvas that we've, we've built out and found really helpful with the founders. If you need to hire the right developers and ship fast, then React Squad is for you a boutique agency that specializes in React and only works with fast-growth startups. Get a 14-day risk-free trial and a transparent price of $95 per hour. Visit reactsquad.io to learn more. Yeah, this is this is awesome. Thanks so much for sharing. I love seeing it all laid out on, on the canvas in a, in a very easy-to-digest framework. I do see this as being extremely useful for founders who may be don't have a PMM, we're so early stage where they've not even, you know, thought about hiring their first PMM. Um, I do have a follow-up question just on your opinion around, you know, when is the right time to hire a PMM? When is the right time to implement these types of frameworks? Um, especially as you're talking to your early stage founders who have not, you know, gotten to that place where they are looking for their first PMM or have the resources to hire someone. Yeah, great question. So it totally depends on the mix of the existing co-founders, like what their skills are. A lot of times we see the PMM piece being really helpful if the founders are more technical. So if they're more product people, they understand how to build great software that people love, but they're not necessarily the ones who understand how to explain it in the clearest way. So if you have a very uh, complex product, I think an early PMM hire is really helpful. We also have seen it be helpful if you have a horizontal product. So Lots of PLG companies 
uh, they dream of these massive total addressable markets, right? Like of becoming the next notion or the next Miro, for example, uh, where they work in all these different use cases, all these different segments. Uh, but a lot of times what founders don't realize is how difficult it is if you have a horizontal product to get the initial traction across multiple use cases at the same time. So having a product marketed minded person who understands what it will take to get the messaging across to all these different segments can be extremely helpful. Um, the other piece that I like to bring up is that, you know, in the startup world, everyone knows lean startup, the whole build, measure, learn loop where you're trying to iterate and pivot and you put the, the different versions of the product in front of people. And ideally, you don't build as much before you test it to see if people actually get it. A lot of times, if you don't have a more product minded founder, uh, product marketing minded founder, you can be putting different versions of the product to get feedback. But your your messaging can be so bad that you're getting either false negatives or false positives that you're like, people don't really like it. When in reality, they just might not have understood it because you didn't do the work to connect all those pieces together to make a compelling value proposition for them even to gauge in the first place if it's something they want. Or like on the other flip side, right, they might really like it and think it's one thing. Once they get into the product, they totally churn out. So me and Robert, my partner, we always recommend if you don't have that skill set for your early stage startup, thinking about bringing someone in. But I I will caution one piece. What we have seen is that Early stage product marketers who get it are vastly different mindset than later stage startup product marketers. Yeah. yeah. Very different profile, uh, different ways that they think about bringing the message uh, to the end user. Because a lot of times in the later stage startups that have a ton of uh, support and bandwidth and teams, they just approach it very differently and they can say, oh, yeah, well, we have 10 different customer segments and that's totally fine. But the early stage product marketer would flag that immediately and say, there's no way with the four of us or 10 of us on our early stage startup on a, you know, seed round of $2 million, we're going to be able to run 10 concurrent go-to-market plans at the same time. So early stage product marketers would flag that immediately. No, 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 we need to pick one because the odds that we can even execute one go-to-market strategy, let alone 10, uh, it's way higher if if we try to focus our efforts. So just cautioning, if people are thinking about bringing in an early stage product marketer, don't just look at their background and say, oh, well, they came from Google. They came from Meta. They're going to do great in my startup. They're actually probably going to be pretty bad. And you would almost better take someone with less brand recognition of their past companies who gets it and understands what it's going to be like in the trenches. Yeah. And that actually brings up a different question. I, I do agree with you that early stage product marketing is a totally different skill set than you know later stage or established companies. Um, you have to think about different things when you're talking to, you know, different audiences and you really have to be able to focus. Um, I'm curious, what are the, some of the things that you've seen that have been, you know, challenging for early stage product marketers, some mistakes that you've seen in the past? And what are some things that can be taken into consideration for those early stage product marketers as they start up? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I think um, if you're the first hire at a startup, Um, It can be very difficult working with the founder if the founder doesn't understand or isn't on the same page. So if anyone's thinking about joining a startup as an early stage PMM, I would have a very long, frank conversation with the founder and just be like, what do you think I'm going to be doing, right? What do you actually want me to be doing on a day-to-day basis? And based on their response, you should be able to spot some red flags of like, this is probably not going to be the right fit. Or he totally gets it or she totally gets it. 
And so, you know, we'll move forward. So a lot of times what we see is that founders spend a vast amount of their time trying to raise money. Most of them, unless they're in the bootstrap track, are trying to raise money. And the world of investors is very much storytelling. It's the long game. It's thinking, where are we going to be in 10 years? How are we going to become a billion-dollar unicorn to make back uh, the, like, you know, because VCs aren't looking for small wins. They need huge wins that can, you know, potentially cover the cost of the entire portfolio that they've raised money for. And so every founder lives day to day in that reality of saying, how am I going to tell the story to my investors that we're going to become the next unicorn that they invest in? But the problem is you don't become a unicorn by going after the whole world at once. And so I like the example of Amazon and Jeff Bezos. In the early days, he knew that he wanted to eventually sell everything under the sun. Like it was in their logo from A to Z, everything in the store is going to be everything you could imagine. But he started with books. He had to say, I had to validate that people would actually buy things over the internet this way. Let's start with something small and just own it and then slowly expand on. So product marketers should be looking for people who have a big vision, but who also have enough of the go-to-market chops to know that the only way to get to the big vision is by sequencing one at a time and yeah. using the success in one area to drive the success in others. So if the founder gets that, the product marketer, I think, is going to be able to do great work at that company. Yeah, absolutely. I, I also feel like sometimes founders, maybe if they don't come, come from a GTM or, you know, product marketing background, maybe they don't see the value or maybe they expect the PMM to do a lot of other types of things um, outside of the PMM role. So, you know, one example is uh, copywriting. Mm -hmm. I, as an early stage PMM in my past, I've been asked to do a lot of copywriting, to do a lot of social media for a company, even though that was not necessarily in my, you know, job description or in my role. Um, so I feel like establishing those early stage kind of uh, understanding of this is exactly what I'm able to bring to the table for your company as a PMM. This is my skill set. These are the frameworks that I use. Um, and then everything else will fall under a different role. But setting those expectations early is one of the most important things. Yeah, absolutely. And and I think I'm um, too, just the, the type of personality who goes into early stage PMM is someone who likes getting their hands dirty across a bunch of things, right? Because you're not going to have all these built-in teams. Like even take one segment. If you have one segment for your B2B company that you're trying to reach, let's say it's sales teams at, you know, mid-market companies. Usually if the product marketer is the first hire, they're going to have to do some level of demand generation up at the top of the funnel to create kind of demand for whatever this product is for sales teams. So they're going to have to write probably either LinkedIn posts or ads or um, SEO or anything like that that's going to get the, the problem in front of that sales group. And then that's going to get traced in and then they're going to have to land on a landing page somewhere. So the PMM is going to have to make landing pages with copy and be able to articulate the value proposition on a website. So that's another just random thing they're going to have to know how to do. And then a lot of times, if it's a PLG company, when they come through that next door, now they're in the product and you ideally want to get them to the aha moment as fast as possible. So the PMM is going to be probably writing in-app messaging as well, explaining, here's the use case that we brought you in for. And this is the part. So like even just in that example, you're jumping into the product, you're jumping into advertising, you're in the website world um, and all of those things. Like you do not even to mention sales enablement materials when the founder gets in the call and you need decks to have put in front of it. Uh, you need to know how to explain it in a sales narrative. It's it's just a ton. And I think uh, sometimes later stage PMMs are a little bit spoiled 
And they're like, oh, I just do sales enablement. You know, I make really great decks and tell good sales narr- narratives and help educate our sales team. But uh, it's, it's kind of more fun, I think, at the early stage because you get to do a lot of different things. You're more of a generalist. Um, but I think there's, there's a lot of fun in that. Yeah, I do agree that PMM is, is probably the most comprehensive role in, in marketing. Um, but it is the most fun because you do get to learn a lot of different things and work with every single function within a company. Um, especially if you're in a startup, you get to do, you know, everything from from beginning to end and, and to get to experience everything about the product. Um, I'm curious to know from your experience, what is your biggest learning as a PMM, especially, you know, in an early stage startup world? Um, and what would you want to share with someone who's just starting out in their PMM career? Yeah, um, I think, man, there's so many learnings. Um, it's it's funny, too, because like my partner and I starting our own agency as a two person you know, consultancy, the two of us, even though we're both very product marketing minded, we have to work so hard to not make the same mistakes of 99% of the founders out there. We started, we had, you know, 25 different product ideas. We're putting things out there. We're super broad. We don't really know, but we had to consciously say, okay, we're starting broad intentionally to find a specific niche that we can go into. And so, you know, even before we honed in on saying we're going to be fully devoted to product marketing, we were like, maybe we should do go to market consulting. Maybe we should do um, jobs to be done, research, you know, an interview, customer interviews and synthesis. So we're putting out all this stuff into the world. And if it wasn't for the two of us always going back and forth to strengthen each other, what would happen is that either one of us probably would have tried to do multiple of those things at once and we wouldn't have really found success in any of them, uh, we like to say there's riches and niches. So conversely, the, the tighter we got in terms of our own ICP, the more money, the more leads, the more clients, everything that we brought in, the more name recognition. And so for us, it's always a battle to push away good opportunities and focus so we can focus on great opportunities. And so like even with us, right, like when we started, we were like, we want to work with startups. That was our ICP, startups. And now we're like, it's early stage PLG startups that have raised seed to series A. We're facing horizontal challenges, specifically around the area of the website, homepage. And like, you know, there's like 25 other (laughs) criteria. But when we have that specific of a target, our content resonates more. Uh, More people are like, that's me. That's my exact problem. So I think um, for product marketers, the biggest learning is the more specific you go, the more resonant your messaging becomes and the more likely that you're actually going to cut through the noise. So like I'll, we'll have people come in and, and say, I don't know anyone else who does exactly what you guys do for this specific segment. And so we always joke around. We're like, we're going to be the best in the world at doing this product marketing for this slice of people with yeah. 25 different characteristics, probably because we're the only slice, right? But um, yeah. if you if you choose a market that's big enough for your goals, right? Sometimes it's, it can be harder with startups because they're like, well, I, I don't need to make 10 million. I need to make 100 million or a billion. And so either way, though, think about the market as a collection of those segments, not just going after one giant group because there isn't a giant group in any market. Markets are all really, really wild and unruly and, and not easily just you can't speak to a huge group. Realizing that a billion dollar total addressable market is actually a collection of many, many, many small markets about the size of the ones that me and my partner are going after. And to get them all, you kind of have to take that level 
of intent across all of them, which just means sequencing them and then bringing more people in as you raise more money, as you get more money uh, to be able to go after them all at once, which is why companies have a thousand people on their marketing and sales teams to execute yeah. all those different plans at once. No, I I love the fact that you've taken, like you mentioned, the Amazon example of of starting with books, starting small and focused and really implementing that in Fletch. Um, I'm curious to know with, you know, with Fletch now kind of being up and running, what are you most excited about? Yeah, I mean, I, I love uh, getting to work with cool startups and seeing the trend, seeing them in the trenches every single day. And so, uh, you know, I think stuff like that is always exciting. Getting in there, being alongside of them, trying to wrestle through these things, seeing their eyes open when they get it. And they're like, OK, I totally understand. And, and when you unlock things for them of saying, I couldn't figure out how to say it. I couldn't think of how to explain it. And now I have the language and now I can use this in my sales decks. I can use this on um, when, when I'm explaining the company at conferences. We can put it on our website or all those different things. Unlocking messaging for a startup is such a big win. So that's always super exciting. But then, yeah, a couple other things coming down the pipeline. We, you know, we've thought about doing cohort based learning courses and things like that, um, because I think as we've what we've been doing on our side, we actually intentionally have kept our packages relatively cheap. Um, there's a lot of product marketing consultants who charge, you know, multiple tens and tens of thousands, and they're usually longer projects. We've kept them packaged and smaller because what we're trying to do is get more at-bats to make our framework better. So every single time that we work with a startup, we try to do them in these like tight sprints so that we can work with more startups and make the framework just more and more cohesive. Every time there's an edge case, it brings up issues. Oh, we didn't account for this oh, we need to make this more broad or we need to make this more specific. And so the framework just keeps getting better and better and better. And ultimately, we want to be able to teach that at a broader scale to PMMs all over the place because we think that's the bigger value than working one-on-one -on -one, uh, with founders is actually getting just the, the ideas and the approaches and the best practices out there. That's what really will actually change, you know, the broader industry. That's awesome. That's really exciting. I'm, I'm looking forward to, to learning more about Fletch and seeing where it goes. Um, and I wanted to thank you for, for joining us today and sharing all of your insights, sharing your frameworks. We're going to have all the links available in the description. We're going to have a link to Fletch, so you can check that out as well. Um, but any last words, Anthony? I would say uh, anyone who thinks this is at all interesting, feel free to shoot me a LinkedIn Connect request. I, I connect with basically everyone unless it's a, a blatant, you know, sales connection <laughs> trying to sell me something. Uh, so, yeah, but happy to chat with anyone. I, I message everyone personally who connects with me. So, yeah, I would, would love to DM me with you. That's awesome. Thanks again for being here and join us on the next episode. If you like this episode, then you'll love the SaaS Operator, a weekly newsletter brought to you by Early Node with actionable insights from SaaS experts in the industry delivered right to your inbox every Tuesday for free. Visit earlynode.com to subscribe.